This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, August 16, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. The growth of government has come at the price of property rights, from breaking up contracts between Chrysler and bondholders to the looming liabilities in entitlement programs. The price of grasping government is the breakdown of civil arrangements, contracts among consenting parties. So says Cato Institute Academic Vice President and Cato Journal Editor Jim Dorn. His article, The Rise of Government and the Decline of Morality, appeared recently in The Freeman. The, the purpose of the law should be to protect property rights, not to take from some to give to others. Uh, and what Bastiat meant by legal plunder is the use of the law not to protect property, but to redistribute property uh, from one interest group to another. Uh, and that undermines, of course, the rule of law. It undermines economic freedom and individual freedom because uh, private property is uh, indispensable if you want to have uh, individual freedom and a wide range of choice and be able to trade with other people uh, without the interference of the state. So when the state basically takes a role of redistributing property rather than protecting it, uh, it creates a lot of uncertainty, uh, creates a chaotic situation, and it creates a huge uh, uh, distrust uh, of the government. Which can cause people to sit on their hands and make whatever problem that has occurred worse, at least economically. Exactly. There's lots of unintended consequences from that type of uh, behavior. So in this essay that I wrote on the uh, rise of government decline of morality, what I mean here by morality is individual responsibility. Uh, when the people look to the state uh, for benefits uh, rather than to their own hard work, or when their own hard work is taxed away by high marginal tax rates on income and, and savings, uh, then people become more dependent upon the state uh, f- for things like their retirement income, for their health care. Uh, businesses will look to the state for subsidies. Uh, and everybody wants to come to the uh, trial to basically, uh, you know, uh, suck off everybody else. Uh, but that's impossible. Uh, and it, it decreases. It, it doesn't increase wealth. It decreases wealth overall. It, does, it doesn't just redistribute wealth. It actually decreases the creation of wealth uh, because of the incentive effects. And that's immoral because it uh, basically is taking from people that have created the, the wealth uh, to give to other people without their consent. Uh, so it politicizes economic decisions, creates uncertainty, and these are all the things Bastiat and other classical liberals talked about. And wealth that you and I could create just by trading with one another, contracting with one another, those types of relationships in a lot of ways become less secure. Like I'm thinking of Indiana state pensioners right now. That's exactly right. Or take Social Security, which is supposed to be a so-called social contract. Well, I never made a contract with the government. Uh, there was no consent there. In fact, if you read your Social Security statement now, they tell you that the promised benefits may not be realized, that they can actually cut them. Well, what kind of contract is that? Uh, No individual would voluntarily sign a contract like that. Uh, The Supreme Court has said in Nestor v. Fleming that we have no real right to our future benefits. Uh, So it's not secure at all. It's uh, depending upon politicians for future income, but what it does as Martin Feldstein and other economists have shown, is that actually decreases the individual's incentive to save uh, because they're promising future benefits. Uh, It also decreases their ability to save because of the taxes. Uh, So there's really no justification for that in the Constitution under Article 1, Section 8. uh, And uh, this is really a a taking by the government for uh, basically intergenerational redistribution. 
and uh, Yagadish uh, Gakhle and others have shown that uh, the unfunded liabilities in Social Security and Medicare alone on an indefinite basis is about a, a $100 trillion, which means that's the amount we need today uh, invested at the going long-run uh, interest rate on U.S. bonds, let's say, to pay off all expected, all promised benefits indefinitely over and, ab- over and above taxes collected. So where are they going to get the money? Uh, it makes the deficit, uh, uh, which we have today, of about uh, $1.5 trillion look uh, minuscule. And the national debt, uh, the explicit debt, is about $12 uh, trillion. So we're talking about $100 trillion. Um, and uh, they can do various things to address that, but somebody has to pay for it uh, at some point. And you're imposing tremendous costs on future generations uh, without their consent, uh, which many economists for a long time thought would be immoral. And the odd thing is that even though these promises in Social Security are political, that is, benefits can go away at any time, there's no contract, it doesn't make them uh, less credible as a promise as compared with these other uh, legally binding promises that that, uh, have been made, say, that my 401k funds will not be taken for some particular purpose. Exactly. In fact, uh, you know, baby boomers have been putting a lot of money into the 401ks over time uh, to use for retirement, uh, and they're, they accumulate tax-free, but when they're taken out, they're subject to the ordinary income tax. Uh, so the government has this huge amount of money, basically, that they can now tax at, at higher income tax rates if they want to. Uh, and if they so-called need the money and they don't want to cut back government spending, uh, that's going to be a prime target. Uh, so people that save for many years uh, with the expectation of using for retirement income are going to be uh, you know, treated basically totally unfairly uh, when it comes to retirement. Um, what did the government do uh, to, to make that claim? Uh, you know, if your property values go up or, or you, you did well on your job and you increased your income, uh, why should the government have a share in that? Uh, the government did nothing uh, along the lines to uh, create that wealth. So they're just taking the wealth, basically, and uh, using it for other things, for other spending programs. And, of course, there's no uh, Social Security trust fund as a myth, as we know. There's nothing in it except little IOUs, little pieces of paper. So that's a, a, a broken promise, again. Uh, so, sure, there's risk in everything uh, we do, uh, Social Security presents a political risk, as we just mentioned. Uh, If we had a privatized system, which I certainly favor, as in Chile, uh, there would be a market risk. But I'm much more willing to take a market risk under a stable rule of law with smaller government uh, than the political risk that's inherent in now. You know what you're getting. Exactly. Plus, why shouldn't people have the freedom to choose what type of retirement system they want? It's their money. Uh, you know, people have taken it for granted now that the government ought to uh, provide health care, uh, Social Security, and, and so on. Uh, but I think more and more Americans uh, are looking at this and saying, you know, this isn't the type of country that, you know, we really want to live in. This isn't what the U.S. Constitution says, uh, that we want more individual freedom. Uh, we want to make decisions on our own. We want the government to get, uh, you know, just leave us alone uh, to a large extent. So uh, this whole thing isn't done yet, uh, and in the next decade or so is going to be a huge struggle between people that 
uh, want more limited government versus, you know, this explosion of government spending that's taken place over the last couple of years. Jim Dorn is vice president for academic affairs at the Cato Institute and editor of Cato Journal. You can subscribe at Cato.org.